the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer, on podcasts everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, and TalkLawRadio.com. Today's going to be an extra special show, and uh, we're going to have Lieutenant Colonel U.S. Army retired Jeffrey F. Atticott full professor of law and director of the Warrior Defense Project at St. Mary's University of School of Law in San Antonio, Texas. We're going to be talking about the following hidden legal issues. One, what does it mean for an organization to be designated a terrorist organization by the U.S. Code and regulations? What are the consequences for supporting a terrorist organization? Whether those who attend a rally in support of the terror attack against Israel should be prosecuted for supporting terrorism or should be protected by the First Amendment freedom of speech and freedom to assemble. Four, according to just war theory, was Hamas justified in its terror attack against Israel? And whether Israel's response to Hamas's terror attack is justified or not? Why should we support Israel? And finally, We're going to discuss Professor Atticott's accomplishments for the Center for Terrorism Law and the Warrior Defense Project. If you're interested in further analysis about whether terror is justified, order Professor Atticott's book, Union Terror, Debunking the False Justifications for Union Terror Against Southern Civilians and the American Civil War. You can find that on Amazon. And another book that's relevant to our discussion today by Professor Atticott is called Radical Islam. Why? It's got a bright red cover on it. You can find that on Amazon as well. Um, Back to the book Union Terror, which is available on Amazon, it describes the Union's use of terror against innocent civilians during the Civil War and dispels all the false excuses used to justify the burning of thousands of private homes and displacing hundreds of thousands of innocent women and their children to fend for themselves without food in the dead of winter by Sherman and others. So check out those books. Uh, Before we get started, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about this subject on the radio. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing, or failing to follow your will. Please help Professor Jeffrey Atticott and me give good information about terrorism law today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Today we're talking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel U.S. Army retired Jeffrey F. Atticott, professor of law and director of Warrior Defense Project at St. Mary's University School of Law here in San Antonio, Texas. Professor, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm sorry that it has to be under these uh, unfortunate circumstances of war. Uh, We also pray for uh, those who are suffering the effects of war. 
um, but your experience and expertise is needed in in this time. Uh, you've been doing a lot of uh, appearances on uh, TV and otherwise, haven't you? Yes, quite a few. Quite okay, a few. yeah. So, you, one of your specialties uh, is uh, terrorism law. Can you just give us uh, some more background? How did you get into that? Well, I, as you know, I did uh, 20 years in the uh, Army. I was the senior legal advisor to all the Green Berets, uh, you know, and deployed on numerous uh, uh, missions in, in undisclosed locations around the world, uh, out of Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty, and worked in the Pentagon on international operational law issues. I taught at our JAG school, international operational law so I've been doing this stuff in the real world for about 20 years, and then I retired and became a law professor. After 9-11 at uh, St. Mary's University School of Law, we founded the Center for Terrorism Law to address all the legal and policy issues associated with the attack on our country um, on 9-11. And in that context, of course, I you know, contributed to our effort to defeat uh, our enemies, which consisted of, uh, of that poison tree, which we call radical Islam, it has a lot of poison branches on that tree. Uh, the branch that attacked us directly was Al-Qaeda, supported by the Taliban. So, uh, you know, I went to Guantanamo Bay. I, I uh, uh, assisted with the military commission process there directly. I met with President Bush four times, testified before the Senate, uh, worked with the White House on a variety of legal issues in support of our war effort to include uh, the newly, uh, 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 I guess, uh, created U.S. Com, uh, combatant Command, NORTHCOM. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been doing this for quite some time. And um, and so it's a pleasure to be able to revisit these issues. But a lot of people ask, you know, when will it end? And the answer is never. It'll never be over. So the first thing I thought of when I heard that Hamas had attacked Israel was uh, that this was a, a known terrorist organization. Correct. And when universities students started having rallies in support of that, I immediately thought that they were going to somehow get in trouble for supporting terror. And so I I wanted to to begin with, um, what are the consequences for an organization to be designated as a terrorist organization? Sure, that that concept uh, dates back to 1996, uh, when the uh, the Congress passed the Material Support Act as a part of a larger package, and it's found at 18 U.S.C. 2339 Alpha and 2339 Bravo. And the Material Support Act makes it a crime punishable by 20 years in jail and a fine for anyone to knowingly provide support, and hence the term material support, material support to a designated terrorist organization. So the next you know piece, the next question you ask would be well as Hamas a designated terrorist organization and who designates these entities as terrorist right. organizations. The designation, of course, is by the Secretary of State. And yes, they are a designated terrorist organization. They're an offspring of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is another dedicated terrorist organization, which is also related to Iran, which is a state sponsor of terrorism designated by all Republican and all Democrat uh, you know, administrations in this country. So Hamas is a uh, terrorist organization, and therefore whoever provides material support to Hamas is in violation of federal law and can be put in jail for 20 years. In fact, if I can just go on a little bit, right here in Texas sure. in 2006, I believe, we had a very um, uh, you know infamous case in Dallas, Texas. It was uh, the federal uh, prosecutors had gone against an organization called the Holy Land Foundation, and they found them guilty and their top five leaders of providing material support to, guess who? Hamas. And the leaders were sentenced to 65 years, uh, another one 65 years, another one 15 years, and another one 20 years, and 20 years. These individuals were funneling in money in this so-called Holy Land Foundation charity, but they were actually, it was a phony front, they were diverting it directly into uh, Hamas, and of course their defense was, well, the money we send, we intend for it to go to the humanitarian part because Hamas is the government of you know the Gaza Strip. We only intend for the money to go to building schools and you know et cetera, et cetera, uh-huh. et cetera. Was the defense? The judge said no. Money is fungible, and I'm quoting from the court case. And in the hands of terrorists, 
it supports their overall objective of terrorism. So the fact that you're giving, you think you're giving money to a hospital and that's your excuse. No, you're knowingly providing material support to Hamas, whether, you know, wherever it's designated, uh, it's a terrorist organization. So that defense will not work. And again, they were convicted, not just of material support. They're also convicted, obviously, of uh, conspiracy, uh, fr- uh, fraud on the IRS and, and other, uh, you know, criminal acts. But the Material Support Act gives you 20 years unless they can directly link your money to someone to die, then you can get life in prison. Oh, wow. Well, we're going to have to take a break, but thank you for setting that up. When we return, we'll talk about what does material support mean besides money. So stay tuned. All business owners and industry leaders seeking to elevate your brand and align with a highly targeted audience. Talk Law Radio invites you to partner with us in bringing in-depth interviews with expert guests, thought-provoking discussions, and practical advice on a variety of matters to the listening audience. Let us get your business name out into the community. Log on to TalkLawRadio.com to find out how you can become a sponsor. That's TalkLawRadio.com. 9.30 a.m. The answer. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on KLUP, 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Podcasts everywhere, Facebook, YouTube, and TalkLawRadio.com. Today, we're talking with a very special guest, uh, Professor Jeffrey Atticott, who has uh, his Doctor of Laws, also two Master of Laws degrees, and uh, spent 20 years in the military teaching uh, the military how to comply with uh, law. Welcome back to the show, Professor. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to have a great-looking tombstone <laughs> if the rapture doesn't occur first. <laughs> Before uh, the break, you talked about uh, the part of the code that says that uh, what a terrorist organization is, and you mentioned a court case uh, about a group in Dallas that that did support Hamas and they are serving in prison now. Uh, let's define what is material support besides money. Oh, f- uh, yeah. So there's two elements, as you correctly point out, Todd. One is, uh, you know, what is material support? And the uh, the statute defines it primarily as money, but it also can be that you uh, go to a training camp and we convicted a lot of individuals in this country that you know went into the Taliban training system and uh, you know the al-qaeda training camps rather and they you know provided training uh, direct training to that organization and they participated in that organization but most of the cases are about you know you're providing money and again this is this is difficult for many uh, uh, Muslims because part of the requirements in Islam is for you to give to a charity. Uh, that's part of their formula. Uh, one of the pillars of Islam is to give to a charity. So a lot of money, Muslims that, uh, you know, they unknowingly gave money to the Holy Land Foundation because on their website, they don't say we're supporting Hamas, a terrorist organization. They're very secretive about it. And so people that gave money to the Holy Land Foundation, uh, they weren't convicted because it, it, they lacked the knowledge element, the mens rea, as we say, as you know. Um, but the five you know, senior leadership members of the organization, many of them had direct links to Hamas, uh, family members. I mean, it was just it was an overwhelming amount of evidence. They were convicted because they knowingly did it. Okay. Uh, and also, uh, as an ad note, uh, you might have heard of CARE, which is a very strong political organization here in this country that, uh, you know, says that they represent uh, Muslims in America. They were an unindicted co-conspirator in that case as well. Okay. So what about the conspiracy? Could that happen? Well, in the Holy Land Foundation case, it did. They were able to prove that they were conspiring to directly, in other words, they were lying. Uh, their public front was, they were, were, you know, were a charity. Uh, but behind the scenes, it was clear that they knew exactly that that money was going to pay, for example, uh, the so-called martyrs and the families of martyrs and uh, money to actually organ- uh, people that were 
organizing and engaging in terror. They were able to prove that. Hence, you've got the 65 years, uh, you know, for two of them got 65 years in jail. So, and fine also was $12.4 million. Okay. Will the students at universities that have been attending rallies somehow get in trouble for supporting a terror organization? Well, no, because we have our First Amendment, as, you, as you're well aware of that. I know you know these, these answers already, so thank you for having me to, <laughs> to say them. Yeah. So in other words, you can – freedom of speech. You can praise uh, Osama bin Laden or, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want. There's he, a lot he, of cases about the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, exactly. When the ACLU used to be involved in protecting freedom of speech, they actually, you know, went to bat protecting the KKK's right to hold a rally. Today, they have degenerated into an organization that only is concerned with one side of the political spectrum. But true libertarians, you know, yeah, you have the right to be an idiot. You have the right to say, you know, the most outrageous things, support um, you know, like, as I said, Osama bin Laden, you can hang the communist flag in your office or the Hamas flag or the ISIS flag. Not illegal. It's only illegal when you engage in violence, conspire to engage in violence, um, Material Support Act, as we discussed, uh, solicit someone to engage in violence. And that's the criminal part of it. So students that are running around, uh, you know, supporting Hamas, any rational person would say to themselves, these people, one, are either totally uneducated and propagandized, um, or they're just stupid. There was a, a rally or a protest at the Capitol recently, and uh, somebody commented on my LinkedIn post about whether or not those people were going to be arrested, uh, just like the, the protest on January 6th. But I haven't seen that. Have you? Yeah, they, they arrested, I think, between two and 300 of them. But I doubt if any of them were put in pretrial confinement. They were probably released uh, rather quickly uh, because, uh, sadly, there's a political element to everything. If, if the Democrats are in power, the Republicans will always say you're doing a lousy job. If the Republicans are in power, the Democrats will always say you're doing a lousy job. Mm-hmm. So we as you know, mainstream America, we kind of kind of go through the politics, put it aside and see what's really happening. But yes, they they trespassed into the rotunda. They uh, were, you know, chanting and parading around, as most of the January 6th people were. The small minority were engaged in, in uh, you know, fisticuffs and, and low levels of violence. Um, to my knowledge, they weren't engaging in violent behavior, um, but they were doing what the mass of people did on January 6th. It's just, you, you know, you trespassed and you're parading. But uh, again, I'm not involved with the Department of Justice, but I do know arrests were made. I don't know, you know, what the follow-up is going to be uh, in those cases. But again, back to your original question, people have the right to be wrong, and that's part of the beauty of America. And you know, as 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 most of us were very tolerant. Uh, you dress the way you want to dress. You know, you can, you know, express views that you want to express. That's what we're all about. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to debate those. And hopefully the truth will be stronger than falsehoods. And people will basically come around to the truth. And the truth in this case, of course, you see so many, you know, so much disinformation from these groups. Just if you just Google it, you can see that Israel is not an occupier. They are a state. They have a little card at the United Nations that says Israel on it. Mm-hmm. They, they have the right to exist. They have their borders. So how can you be a colonial occupying power and and again, the goal of Hamas is to take over the entire state of Israel. They believe they're illegitimate. Well, well I'm sure true. I'm sure you wrote about this in your book called Radical Islam. Why? Um, but just briefly for the listeners today, um, there is that argument that those at the rally are making that the Palestinians were there first. Do you know who was there first, and does it matter? Yeah, I don't know who was there first because that's been, you know, 10,000, 15,000 years ago. Um, But we do know one thing about human history. You show me any piece of land and somebody was there first. If you just take Texas, Mm -hmm. you know, we're we're United States now. Before before that, we were the Confederate States of America. Before that, it was the United States of America. Before that, it was the Republic of Texas. Before that, it was, uh, you know, uh, Mexico. Before that, it was Spain. Before that, it was Comanche. So whatever group wants to get together and say we're reclaiming the land that used to be ours, that argument was washed away in 1945 
it's illogical in any event because every place used to be somebody and mm-hmm. you can call that person that's there now a you know a colonial power or a crusader or whatever you want to call it it's irrelevant the the starting point is 1945 when the united nations was created and the vast majority of nations have signed the charter and that's the starting point are you a member of the united nations we don't care where you came from we don't care what the history was that was saddam hussein's excuse when he went into kuwait that used to be our 12th province well, maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't, but that's irrelevant. It's Kuwait today. And the same argument with Israel. It's Israel today. They have the right to exist as a nation state. They're recognized by the United Nations. They're recognized by the vast majority of countries in the world. They are not colonializers. They're not occupiers. They have a state. Uh, now, the issue is, do the Palestinians want a state? Because nations rise and nations fall. Yes, they want a state. I'm not opposed to the Palestinians having a state. But if you're, you know, if you're a peacemaker and you want to try to solve this problem and not just engage engage in hyperbole, you quickly realize that Israel is like the size of New Jersey. There's not enough land, let alone for the nine million Israelis there, than the millions of Palestinians. I would say Egypt and Jordan, which have huge countries, why don't you step up to the plate, carve off a piece of geography and make it a Palestinian state. Problem solved. But even Israel has in the past offered to give yes. them land for their own state, and they rejected it. Yes, that's President Clinton. You know, when you negotiate as a lawyer, you know, we, we like to negotiate as we lawyers do. Most cases are settled by negotiation. We loosen up our tie. I don't have one today. <laughs> and you would say to the other party, what would you want? Well, if you had a Hamas person sitting across the table from you, their response would be, um, Thank you very much for that question. I want to kill you. <laughs> that doesn't leave us a counter offer. Right. Yes, it's true that, that the Israelis gave the the Palestinian uh, representatives, Yasser Arafat at the time, 95% of everything they wanted on the table. That's pretty good. If I can negotiate and get 95% of what I want, I'm going to take that deal. Mm-hmm. And they rejected it because that tells you everything you need to know. They're not interested in, in resolving this this issue uh, their interest lies, as the Hamas charter says, we want to kill you all. And they've shown it with their despicable acts on October the 7th. So let's talk about just war theory. What Do they still follow that? What What is the theory now? Yeah, again, yeah. So just war theory is, uh, you know, it was it's a Catholic church tradition. And uh, it deals with when do you go to war? And there's several elements to it. And they look at, you know, the the the, the cost and benefit, uh, who's the aggressor, who started the war, uh, proportionality, things like that. It's related uh, again, to the law of self-defense, right? Yes, yeah, related to law of self-defense. But that's kind of all – today in the international community, we don't use that term anymore. You know, I use it myself in academic papers. But the the measuring stick now is the UN Charter since 1945. And in there, Article 51, it says every nation has the, the inherent right to defend themselves if they are attacked. And then it gives the Security Council, which is the five permanent members, the authority to, dete- to determine who is the aggressor in any given you know, fight. Well, in this case, so our analysis starts with Article 2, 3, and 2, 4 says that all nations must settle disputes by peaceful means, negotiation, settlement. And if you can't settle it by uh, peaceful means, then you go to the Security Council and ask them to arbitrate it for you. Well, again, you know, Hamas is is not a nation state, but they're still tied under those rules. They're kind of like a virtual state, like Al-Qaeda, I suppose. And so they're, you know, so the question is, who started this particular war that we're in right now? And any normal, rational person can tell you that Hamas is the one that blew the holes in the wall, came in and slaughtered, you know, almost 1,500 Israelis. Innocent people. The body is still being counted. We have, and they took about 200-plus hostages and all the stuff that we saw with it, the rape, the burning, the pillaging, uh, just atrocities that, that shocked the conscience. And that all it's fits clear. under the definition of terror. Yeah, and that, that, those are acts of terror, which is, is true, but they're also illegal acts. Even a nation at war can't engage in those acts. They're illegal under the law of war. And, of course, they're illegal uh, under under any concept of human consciousness. So they started this war. And a lot of people now that you know support the Palestinians, well, we want a ceasefire. 
you know, you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't go that way. <laughs> you don't get to do these atrocities and say, okay, let's have a ceasefire until the next group of atrocities. Israel has the right under Article 51 to defend themselves and also the inherent right and also to get any allies to join them in this process. And thankfully, this president has seen fit to provide, to provide at least some support to Israel. And so they've got to go in and do what they've got to do. Um, they've got to clean out the Hamas organization. Will there be casualties? Yes, that's the nature of war. But the difference is the Israelis, they don't target civilians. That's not true, as we saw with the propaganda with the hospital bombing. Uh, when I heard that, when it first came out on CNN, and they just picked it up and ran from the Hamas propaganda puppets, I knew it was false. I've worked with the IDF. I've been there. They don't target hospitals. <laughs> um and so finally the truth came out. But yeah, there will be casualties because the law of war allows if you're targeting a military target, collateral damage, you don't target the civilians. But if they die, then it's allowed under the law of war. It's not a war crime. And we know that Hamas actually uses civilians to put them in hospitals. So you won't. And they put we're going to take a break. We'll be yes. right back. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. Also podcasts everywhere, Facebook, YouTube, and TalkLawRadio.com. Today, my very special guest is a Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army retired, Jeffrey F. Atticott. He's a full professor of law and director of the Warrior Defense Project at St. Mary's University of School of Law here in San Antonio, Texas. And we'll save some time at the very end today in segment four to talk about the Warrior Defense Project. Uh, but we've been talking about so far the war in Israel and uh, the terror attacks uh, that Hamas uh, made against uh, Israel. And we've been talking about what does it mean for an organization to be designated as a terrorist organization and what are the consequences for supporting a terrorist organization. Then we talked about uh, the rally, rallies in support of uh, the Palestinians or in support of the the attack. I don't know why people are attending rallies, but I've just been hearing uh, about those in the news. Then we talked about just war theory and uh, whether Hamas was justified in their attack whether uh, Israel was justified in its response. And so now I would like to talk about uh, something that I heard uh, on Thursday. I went to an event at Temple Bethel uh, where the former United States ambassador, uh, Dennis Ross, to Israel spoke. And uh, one thing he said is that uh, Hamas cannot be defeated. Hamas is, a, is an idea and so because it cannot be eliminated, it has to be discredited. How do you feel about that? Well, he's got one thing, right? As the Lord Christ said, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars until I come back. He ain't back. So, yes, there's always another Hamas. There's always another ISIS. There's always another Al-Qaeda. Um, evil is amongst us. It was here before we were born. It's here now. It'll be here when we're gone. So uh, people are very, some people are very naive. You know, well, this will be the last war. <laughs> mm -hmm. It'll never be the last war. Um, and so you just have to confront it. It's like crime. And you have to be strong. You have to have a strong military. You have to use deterrence because obviously, for example, the United States, we can't fight everybody all the time. So we use the concept of deterrence. Uh, President Trump was brilliant at using deterrence. This administration, no, uh, quite the opposite. Uh, our enemies are not deterred. They perceive that we are weak. Uh, they perceive that we might have the capabilities, but we don't have the desire or the will to do anything. And we saw that, of course, with our defeat in Afghanistan and the in Russian invasion and the rattling of uh, sabers of China. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is an idea, just like Nazism is an idea. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, whatever the next generation will have to face and... Uh, and so you just have to confront it. The Israelis have been confronting this since they're found since they were founded in 1948. 
the response from the all the neighbors surrounding the state of Israel when they were recognized as a legitimate state. What did they do? They didn't say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. They attacked them and tried to kill them all. And they've been trying to do that uh, with wars uh, for the last umpteen years, and that's going to continue, apparently. So the Israelis, of course, have to constantly defend their right to exist, and they have a right to exist. Uh, again, you know, you can protest, you can do whatever you want. It's a free country. I salute you for doing that. But I wish you would look at the other side, um, if that's your mindset, because no matter how thin the coin, there's always two sides to it. But most people, they don't want to they don't want to look at the other side. I've got my mind up, made up, the Israelis, and then fill in the blank. They'll use these little terms like colonizers or whatever it is. Um, it's simply not historically accurate. It's not logical thinking. It's not critical thinking, that's for sure. So I like to think that I support Israel, uh, not because I know anybody over there, but because I share values with them. We we have the same Ten Commandments, and we have uh, shared democracy uh, why do you think we should support Israel? Same with Utah. They they share our values. I mean, the Judeo-Christian ethics, uh, but the values of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press. Hamas doesn't have that. Uh, and again, I think Dennis Prager said it best. He said, imagine if the Israelis laid down their guns, what would happen? They'd be destroyed. Imagine what would happen if Hamas laid down their guns, what would happen? Peace would break out. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the bottom line. Again, their negotiating position is, we want to kill you. And the Israelis, uh, you know, for too long, in my opinion, they've been very soft on Hamas, very soft on Hezbollah to their north. And that puts them in a very dangerous situation, just as we've been very soft under the Biden administration with Iran. Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism. And then just circle back to our first segment. I'm sure some of your listeners thought, well, if you can't supply material support, which is money to a terrorist organization, how's the Biden administration send them on $100 million? Wouldn't that be a violation of the Material Support Act? Yeah. How are they allowing Iran to get billions of dollars by not enforcing the embargo? Is not a violation of the Material Support Act. And, of course, the government exempts himself from that statute. But right. as a practical matter, yeah, you know, you're doing exactly what you are prohibited, what we're prohibited from doing under federal law. So you think that uh, if we stopped sending money, then that would help deter these types of acts. No question about it, because the puppet master is Iran. And uh, Iran is going to get a nuclear weapon. And you think it's bad now, just wait what happens when they get a nuclear weapon. So we've got to deal with a bigger issue of Iran because they supply $750 million to Hezbollah every year. They supply a, you know, almost the same amount to Hamas every year. Without that money, these organizations could not build these missiles and bombs and guns and things of that nature. Iran is the, the head of the snake. And again, you know, everybody knows it. And why are we negotiating with them? You know, you cannot negotiate with evil and expect them to keep their word. If you're a student of history, the British tried to do that with Adolf Hitler. They came back, hey, we got a peace treaty. Yay. I mean, you're naive beyond naive. With dictatorships and totalitarian regimes, you negotiate from a position of strength. The only thing they understand is deterrence, the application of lawful violence or, um, you know, deterrence. And so Iran has to be dealt with. I know one thing. The time to stop Iran is before they get the nuclear weapon, not afterwards. It's too late. Good point. I wanted to ask you to talk about your book, Radical Islam, Why? Because I think it's a good time for this to be taught in universities so that people don't buy into the misinformation that uh, Hamas and and the Palestinians uh, have a superior right to live there. Yeah, so the, the root, as you indicated earlier, is what I call radical Islam. Now, the vast majority of Muslims... They do not buy into this ideology of radical Islam, but a lot of them do. And, of course, the ones that do, they believe that they have an obligation to conquer the world in, uh, you know, for, for God, Allah. And they will kill anyone that stands in their way. And, oh, by the way, uh, so I'm not accused of Islamophobia, they have killed more Muslims than Christians and Jews. So they will kill anybody that stands in their way. Again, let me repeat that. They've killed more Muslims than Christians or Jews. Wow. And so it's, you know, that's the that's the problem. 
Now, many of these people, for example, in Afghanistan, the vast majority of the population, they can't read and they can't write. They can't even read the Quran to know what's in it. You have these radicalized individuals that tell them that the Quran commands you to kill and murder. And they point to certain verses in the Quran. There are violent verses in the Quran. There's peaceful verses in the Quran. Mm -hmm. They go straight to the violent verses and they say, this is the will of God. And if you die in combat, you do not have to go to the judgment seat of Allah because it's a works religion. You work your way in, good deeds, Mm -hmm. rituals. Then you're judged at the judgment seat of Allah. You either go to heaven or hell. That's classic Islam. But you can bypass that and you can go straight to heaven without going to the judgment seat of Allah if you die in jihad, which means you literally die fighting the infidels. And um, so that's still a works process because you have to kill yourself in combat. But, um, but we could do a, good, a lot of good by just teaching people how to read. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you've got to close down the Hitler youth camps because, again, in Germany, they had Hitler youth camps where they propagand, propagandized the kids. Mm-hmm. We know that Hamas in, in, you know, puts out literature to little children in their schools, in their elementary schools about hating the Jews, killing the Jews. And this is occupied land. And we need to you know, take back Jerusalem and take back the whole thing. So and the kids, that's all they hear. Right. And therefore, they grow up and there you go. Uh, I call it closing down the Hitler youth camps. In the long term, you need to close down the Hitler youth camps. And the best people to do that is Islam. You know, they need to have a reformation to, you know, do that type of activity. And again, um, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. But in the short term, when these individuals in Hamas and Hezbollah and the Muslim Brotherhood and Iran use violence, we have to respond with lawful violence. They use illegal violence. We use lawful violence. Okay, well, when we come back after the break, let's talk more about those distinctions. Uh, We just have a minute left, but I I wondered, uh, could the neighboring countries uh, do more to uh, provide a stable government and a stable education system for the children? Oh, yeah. Hypocrisy is, is, is beyond belief. The Egyptians, you know, on the other side of the Gaza Strip is the Egyptian side. They close the border. They will not allow the Palestinian civilians to come into their territory in Egypt to set up refugee camps. And yet they, you know, they cry crocodile tears for the Palestinians. And yet they have the ability right there on the ground, open up the gates, let them in. We will fund them and, you know, house and and vet the individuals so they're not Hamas members. But they won't do it. And so the Israelis are blamed. But why not blame the Egyptians that are right there? And there's a lot of land in the Sinai Peninsula there, huge amounts of land. we got to take another break. We'll be right back. Discover the fascinating world of the law with Talk Law Radio. Listen to 930 AM The Answer every Saturday morning at 11 for insightful discussions and expert analysis. Then, don't miss out on a thrilling bonus segment every Sunday at 430 PM when Talk Law Radio's attorney Todd Marquardt offers his professional perspective on trending legal issues. Stay informed and engaged with the legal matters that shape our nation. Join Talk Law Radio for an enriching radio experience on 930 AM The Answer. And for more info, go to TalkLawRadio.com. 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on KLUP 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Uh, Podcasts everywhere, Facebook, YouTube, and TalkLawRadio.com. I'm here talking with a special guest, Lieutenant Colonel U.S. Army retired Jeffrey F. Atticott, who is a full professor of law and director of the Warrior Defense Project at St. Mary's University School of Law in San Antonio, Texas. We've been talking about the war between uh, Israel and Hamas, and we've been talking about uh, what is uh, lawful versus unlawful use of force here. So let's, let's pick up there, Professor. Sure. I mean, we we talked about people, you know, need to inform themselves about things. And and again, Christians, for example, you'll see many Christians that will carry these signs that will say, you know, thou shalt not kill and violence never solves anything. Uh, Did you ever read the Bible? It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. A big difference. Sometimes people need killing. 
uh, criminals need to be executed when they are found guilty of, of vile murder. Uh, the Bible authorizes the death penalty. It's legal and it's moral. Um, same with combat. That's how you win a war is by killing the enemy, and that's not murder. As long as we are targeting combatant soldiers and abiding by the law of war, which both, by the way, was set out by Moses, uh, they had their own law of war about what you could and couldn't do. So we follow these civilized laws of war, which are very deep in our heritage, and we have to engage in war from time to time. I also remind people that, you know, Jesus himself holds a uh, holds a record for killing people. 185,000 Assyrians outside the gate of Jerusalem, um, you know, when Hezekiah was king. So, yeah, people need to discern, you know, exactly what is happening here. So, yes, I wish we had a world where there was no war. I wish we had no crime. But as my great-grandmother said, you can spit in one hand and wish in the other and see which one fills up first. You have to deal with reality as reality exists, or you will get a whole lot of people killed. So we should work for periods of uh, where we can expand the time between wars, but you're not going to get rid of wars by negotiation by negotiating with totalitarian regimes. Just you know, if you're just a armchair student of history, you can see that's not true. It's just not going to happen. So the Israelis have the right and they have the responsibility to protect their own people to engage in this conflict. But yes, it'll never be over. There'll be another conflict probably in five or 10 years um, with another banner. Um, and that's just the way humans are. And another book that you wrote called Union Terror uh, talks about why it doesn't just, it's not unjustified to use terror in any war, even the yeah. Civil War. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a you know it's a it's a wonderful book. It's called Union Terror, and uh, uh, what I did in the book is is most people are kind of vaguely familiar with Sherman marching across you know Georgia, uh, about a thirty day march from Atlanta to Savannah, uh, and then they said, well, they know that he had to go into some farms and do this and do that. Well, you know the the, the horror that he inflicted on innocent civilians is is not as bad as Hamas, of course, but it was it was pretty. It was pretty despicable, and they violated the law of war as it then existed, and I dispel all the false justifications. One of them was he said, well, I had to take food and you know provisions from the civilians because my army couldn't survive without it. That was an out-and-out lie. In the book, I dispelled that. He took along with him 10,000 cattle when he left Atlanta, 2,500 brand-new wagons, uh, stuffed with enough supplies and food to last the entire march. He didn't need to take an ear of corn. They did it because they were trying to burn out civilians to get them to stop the war. He engaged in war crimes. He engaged in terrorism. They burned down civilian homes of women and children. The men were all gone. And black Southerners, white Southerners, no distinction whatsoever. Uh, free blacks and slave blacks, no distinction whatsoever. And I've got it all documented in the book. Um, and so, interestingly, in 1944, the Germans had a magazine called Signal. On the front cover, they had a picture of General Grant who authorized the, the movement. And in the in the magazine, they talked about the war crimes that the Union had committed on innocent civilians. And their message, of course, the Allies were just landing in 1944. Their message was, you can expect the same treatment civilians uh, from the Americans. They were using it as their own propaganda oh. element. So um, there's no excuse for engaging in war crimes. And w- our hands are not clean, of course. But you learn from the past. You learn from these things. You move forward. You educate yourself. And hopefully we're doing a better job than, you know, than we have done a better job. And hopefully by remembering these lessons from the past, we won't repeat those mistakes. Tell us about the work that you did uh, with the Center for Terrorism. Right. So the Center for Terrorism Law, as I indicated earlier in the show, I just worked closely with the Bush administration uh, and, uh, you know, during the height of the, of the war on terror during his eight years in office. Um, and, of course, uh, worked with the Trump administration as well. When ISIS was destroyed, um, you know, radical Islam kind of went back in their, in their holes because it's hard to say God's on your side when your leader, al-Baghdadi, is dead, uh, your cities that you took over and raped and pillaged your way across Syria and Iraq, you've been eradicated, and so... The attacks across Europe of supporters of ISIS, they kind of stopped. Um, and, of course, so we switched gears to uh, to our warrior defense project where I've been doing this on the side now for about 15 years, defending soldiers wrongfully accused of misconduct in the performance of their duties. 
ranging in cases, soldiers charged with murder for shooting the enemy in combat, uh, soldiers' uh, careers destroyed because they violated the supercilious rules of engagement when they're fighting the enemy, uh, all sorts of cases. I've defended uh, doctors that, you know, uh, you know, dared to give uh, medical exemptions to people that didn't want the COVID shot, and they were uh, basically crucified for, you know, going against the narrative at the time. So, yeah, just a lot of different cases ranging from A to Z. And uh, How does it can, work? You have students that help you with that, right? Yes. I have law students that help me do that, and they get the benefit of learning uh, you know, a lot of valuable skills ranging from interviewing witnesses to deposition skills, uh, you know, to research, uh, writing. And so, yeah, they, they rotate in. My bad news, of course, I only got them for about a year and a half before they graduate. And then I got, you know, new as mm-hmm. I have to train all over again. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a valuable experience for them. And I, to my knowledge, we're the only law school in the country that actually does this, um, and again, I've done 150 cases, and we don't charge a dime for it. Um, if anybody would like to get more information, please contact me because we're always looking for benefactors because it costs money to fly to Fort Bragg and back and to hire expert witnesses and do all the other things that we have to do. So I'm always seeking people that would like to, uh, you know, to support us, and and we're very cognizant of where those dollars go. So uh, again, uh, it's all pro bono to the soldiers. And what number should they call or how should they get in touch if they do want to make a donation? Uh, Sure. Just call me directly because I always, you know, I'm very cautious about donating myself. I always tell people, hey, come to our law school. Let me give you a tour of the facility. Let me show you what we do uh, because there's so many scam artists out there these days, as you know, and I know. Um, So I always tell people, do your due diligence about who you're giving your money to. Um, so, yeah, just call me. You can look that information up on the St. Mary's website. Uh, my email's there. And I'll uh, be more than happy to meet with anybody and give you a tour of our facility and show you exactly what we do. Uh, we have an annual report that comes out, which details all the cases, where every penny goes and what we do. But the the – your director of that program through St. Mary's, right? It's yes. under the umbrella of St. Mary's? Sure is. Sure okay. is. St. Mary's Law School. So my cell is uh, 887-0429, which is 210. So 887-0429. Okay, great. Now, do the students have to learn some type of uh, military code of conduct as opposed to like state criminal defense law? There's a lot of similarities. For example, the the federal rules of evidence are exactly the same as the military rules of evidence, word for word. Um, but I do like to, if I can, I like to get law students that have a military background because when I say things like TDY or the acronyms, they oh, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people that don't have a military background, it's a little, they have a, a higher learning curve to learn the military way of right. doing things. Okay. And do you have a large percentage of students coming from the mil- military? We do. So it's a lot of folks that are, you know, you know, in the National Guard or prior service. And, uh, and so I'd say about half of the people that, that help me have a military background of some sort, but it's not a requirement. The only requirement I've got is that, are you a worker? Right. Good work ethic. Good work ethic. And, uh, you know, I'd rather have someone that has a great work ethic as a B student than someone that's just really smart and has a bad work ethic and is an A student. Yeah, me too. Uh, you mentioned your grandmother, something she said about uh, spit in one hand and hope in the other. Uh, it, was she important to you? Um, yeah, it, actually, she was my great-grandmother, and uh, she was from Alabama. Her father actually was uh, one of the soldiers that fought Sherman. Uh, so it was it was a very interesting. I'm a Southerner, so our, my Southern heritage is very important to me, which is also, of course, under attack from people that want to attack everything, Southerners, evil, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, um, she was very important. And uh, our family, of course, is uh, has a long military history. We fought in the American Revolution. My dad's a World War II veteran, shot down the Korean War. Uh, I myself am, am a veteran. So, yeah, we're all about God and country from as long as I can think. And, you know, parents have an obligation to raise their kids with these basic values so you know what the truth is. Uh, don't leave it to the school system. As we're saying, many things in the school system are disoriented to reality as well. Uh, many things are good. Many things are not good. But parents ultimately have the 
the right and the responsibility to raise good citizens in this country because if we don't have people that are willing to love this country and fight for this country, we won't have a country at all. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to have to uh, end the show, but I wanted to express gratitude from Talk Law Radio, Marquardt Law Firm, and, and all patriots in this area. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Todd. My pleasure. So I also wanted to mention some things in the news uh, locally. Um, with uh, San Antonio growing, you'll see a bunch of traffic on 1604. Um, there's going to be a road closure there between uh, I-10 and uh, military on 1604, so you don't want to run into that this weekend. And that just so happens to be the area where uh, I have to drive to get to my office. <laughs> so, uh, But thank goodness it's the weekend, and I won't have to drive that route now. Um, something else that came up that was funny I saw was uh, the zoo will allow you to bring your pet to the zoo today. And Lexi, uh, my little white dog, really wanted to go. Um, but unfortunately, after I leave the radio station today, I have to head to the office. I'm going to have some consultations with people, and uh, that'll take up my whole afternoon. And so Lexi's a bit disappointed, but she was uh, happy to get to come to the radio station today. Uh, if you have any comments or questions about terrorism law, you can email me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S-T at talklawradio.com. I'm Todd Marquardt. I'll talk to you later. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.